One of the powerful lies the enemy of your soul whispers into your ear is that you have no choice. I just can't help myself. I have to look. I have to lust. I have to give in to self-gratification. I mean, after all, I'm only human. Certainly God will understand. Those thoughts are lies directly from the pit of hell. You are human, yes. God does understand, but you have a choice. You always have a choice, and you can help yourself. You don't have to lust. You don't have to look at porn. You don't have to masturbate. You don't have to sin. Well, welcome to the Point of Purity podcast, a weekly study filled to the brim with all the tools from Scripture you will ever need to build a lasting life of biblical purity. I'm your host, Steve Etner, author, national speaker, and purity coach for the Pure Man Ministry. This is episode 99. In this episode, we're going to continue our discussion that we began last week about the choices we make and the consequences that follow. So let's dive right in. As we begin this week's episode, let's take just a moment here. Let's start with prayer. Father in heaven, as we come before you right now, I ask that you would make us to know your ways. Teach us your paths. Lead us in your truth. Please, Father, teach us, for you are the God of our salvation. Please, show us right now your ways so that we may know you and how to walk in obedience to you and how to glorify you. And would you please open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law. And I ask you this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, in Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, God is talking with Cain just before he killed his brother Abel. And here's what God said. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it, Genesis 4-7. Now, the the first thing I want you to notice is that God begins this verse by saying, if, if you do what is right. And then he says, if you you do not do what is right. Now, here's why I point that out. That that little word, if, indicates that there's a conscious choice on your part that has a guaranteed results based upon whatever choice you make. In other words, choose to do what is right, and God's promise is you'll be accepted, you'll be blessed. But choose to do what is wrong, and God's promise is you're going to suffer the ramifications and the penalty of your sinful, selfish choice. So in this text, Genesis 4-7, God is telling Cain, and I submit he's telling you and I, it's entirely up to you. You can choose to do what is right, or you can choose to do what is wrong. So listen now, when, when you're facing the temptation to lust, when you're struggling with the desire to look at porn, when you're, you're facing the, the pull of, uh, to, to fantasize sexually, to, to give in to masturbation, I, I want this verse, Genesis 4-7, to remind you, you have a choice. You always have a choice. No one is forcing you to give in to the three-headed dragon. Now, as I said in the opener of, of today's uh, this week's episode, one of the powerful lies of the enemy of your soul that, that he whispers into your ear is that I have no choice. I can't help myself. I, I have to look. I have to lust. I have to masturbate. And God will understand because I'm only human. Those thoughts are lies that are directly from the pit of hell. Jesus said 
in Matthew, in John, John chapter 8, verse 44, that Satan, that there's no truth in him. When, when he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he, Satan, is a liar, and he's the father of lies. Now, yes, there's truth, and, and what makes a lie so powerful is there's always an element of truth nestled within the lie. Yes, you are only human, and yes, God does understand. However, you and I do have a choice. We always have a choice. And we can, through the power of Christ and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we can help ourselves. We don't have to lust. We don't have to masturbate. We don't have to look at porn. We don't have to sin. Now, please, listen to me closely here. Every time, every time you think, I don't have a choice. I, I just, I've got to do this. I've got to give in. Every time you feel like the temptation is just so strong, if you don't give in, you're going to burst. I want you to quote Genesis 4, 7. And I want you to remember, you can choose to do what is right, or you can choose to do what is wrong. The choice is yours. But with the choice comes consequences. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. You've heard me, if you've, if you've followed this podcast for any length of time, you've heard me say multiple times, we do what we do because in our heart we want what we want. To change your outward behavior, you must first change your heart. I think a good question to ask yourself when you're struggling with temptation is this. What is it that I like so much or want so badly that I'm willing to sin to get it or to keep it? Let me repeat that. What is it that I like so much what is it that I want so badly that I am actually willing to sin? I'm actually willing to turn my back on God just so I can get it or keep it. Although you choose to lust, in part because you like the pop, you like the rush, the, the, the feeling that lust brings, I submit that there's something deeper, something more profound than just that that's happening. There's something that you like. There's something that you want so much that you're willing to turn your back on God and commit idolatry and adultery, Matthew 5.28, the worship of a false god, to get it or to keep it. Why? Think about this. Why do you want what lust pretends to offer instead of what God promises to provide? To answer that, let's look at the last part of our statement. You do what you do, because in your heart, you want what you want. In other words, you choose to lust because in your heart, you believe that is what will bring you the things that you think you want. You believe that that, that, that which you desire so deeply is what is in your best interest. And, and somehow you're convinced that lusting is the only way, or maybe, maybe it just is the easiest way to get what you think you want. Well, I want to add another point to this statement to bring a little more clarification. The statement goes, you do what you do because in your heart you want what you want. Here's my addition. You want what you want because you believe what you believe. Let's break it down. Let's ask the question, first of all, why do I lust? Ultimately, you choose to lust because you believe that God cannot or that he will not meet your current need. And I couch the word need in air quotes. You don't think that God's going to meet that current need, at least at least not in the way that you feel will satisfy you and fulfill you. So you believe 
that lusting is the only way to get what you truly want. So you make a willful choice to lust because you want something that you are convinced only lust can provide. All right, why do I look at porn? We choose to look at porn because in our heart, we want something that we think looking at porn is going to provide. Now, again, the choice is always yours. You do what you do because in your heart, you want what you want. You want what you want because you believe what you believe. So you choose to look at porn because you want to feel good. And you believe that looking at porn will relieve the stress, will remove the boredom. It will stop the the frustration or the loneliness. It'll make you feel significant. It'll make you feel appreciated. Bottom line, it'll make you feel good. Ultimately, now watch this now, ultimately, you choose to look at porn because you believe that God cannot or will not meet that current need, at least not in the way that you feel will truly satisfy and fulfill you. So you believe that looking at porn is the best way, or maybe it's just the easiest way to get what you think you want. Okay, why do I masturbate? We choose to masturbate because in our heart, we want something that we think masturbation will provide. Again, the choice is always yours. Either you're going to choose to take matters into your own hand, literally, or you will choose to trust God to meet your needs. But you cannot have it both ways. You do what you do because in your heart you want what you want. You want what you want because you believe what you believe. So you choose to masturbate because you believe that self-gratification is the only way to relieve that sexual tension and pressure that's been building up inside of you. Built up tension, by the way, that's there. Why? Because you chose to lust, because you chose to look at porn, because you chose to fantasize. It's tension that you created in the first place. So you're choosing to masturbate because you think you need that ah moment, that reward, that that, that fleeting euphoric high. And you want that more than you want to glorify God. You want it because you believe it's the only way to be normal again. And at that moment, now now watch this, at that moment, your desire to experience the relief that's dominating your thoughts, that's driving you absolutely crazy, you believe you need something that's going to make you feel normal again. And so you're convinced that giving into masturbation is the best, or maybe it's just the easiest way to get that. You believe that if, if I don't give in, life is going to come to an end as I know it. You're convinced you need to experience that relief. Well, in each of the instances that I walked you through, the belief is that God cannot or that God will not meet your current need, at least not in the way that you feel at that moment will truly satisfy and fulfill you. So you choose to lust. You choose to look at porn. You choose to sexually fantasize. You choose to masturbate. And in some way, you choose to sexually act out. There's something that you like so much or want so badly that you're willing to sin to get it or to keep it. So I want to challenge you here. Think about this. What is the need? And again, I couch that in air quotes. What is the need that you have that you believe God cannot or will not adequately meet? You feel somehow that lust and porn and masturbation will provide that need. 
In fact, I want to challenge you. Think about that question. What is the need that you have that you believe God cannot or will not adequately meet? And then talk with your accountability partner as soon as possible about that. Wrestle with that through that together with your accountability partner. Okay. I want you to consider for just a moment the personal pronoun I. I want, I need, I desire, I long for, I deserve, I must have, I cannot live without, I, I, I. You see, when King Me is sitting on the throne of your heart, all of your thoughts, all of your words, all of your actions are for the benefit of King Me. When you're thinking about how to satisfy the king, you're going to eventually make sinful choices that are in favor of self. You're going to make choices that, because they're in favor of self, they are opposed to God. You see, your king-me choices will always be focused on pleasing yourself instead of glorifying God. And I want to submit, glorifying God, hey, that should always be our number one goal, our driving purpose in life. I want you to listen closely as I read to you three verses from Scripture. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Again, glorifying God should be your number one goal, your driving purpose in life. Colossians 3.17, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Again, glorifying God should be the number one goal, the driving purpose in life. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 says we are to make it our goal to please him. How are you doing with that? Now, here's a couple of critical questions I want you to consider. According to the verses I just quoted to you, what percentage of your life is supposed to glorify God? Seriously, shout out the answer. What percentage of your life is supposed to glorify God? All right, now that you've got that answer, and by the way, the only answer that's the correct answer is 100%. Up to this point in time, up to, to this moment in this, in this episode, what percentage of your life has consistently glorified God? Again, come up with an answer and shout it out. What percentage of your life up to this point has consistently glorified God? I pretty much guarantee you that your answer is not going to be 100%. So what needs to change in your life? What needs to change in your heart? What needs to change in your thought process so that the answer to the above question that I just asked you is 100% of my life is dedicated to glorifying God? And then here's another question. How do you plan on making that change? Talk with your accountability partner about this as soon as possible. Let me, let me repeat one more time. You do what you do. Because in your heart, you want what you want. And you want what you want because you believe what you believe. I don't want you to lose sight of the fact that at the core of all that you do is what you believe deep in your heart. I I, I want you to understand this one simple but powerful truth. The issue you are struggling with is not lust. The problem is not pornography. The, the struggle is not with masturbation or any of a number of sinful activities that you choose to engage in. Every one of those things are the byproduct of the one real issue. The real issue that you are battling with, 
no matter the temptation, no matter the sin issue, the real issue is a worship disorder. Who is sitting on the throne of your heart? Whom are you worshiping? Is it King me or is it Jesus? You see, your response to that question is the answer as to why you're struggling with temptation and cannot get free. So I want you to take just a moment and let's consider once again Genesis 4, 7. God says, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now, I want us to think about the right thing to do as, as it's found in this verse. I, I think to fully understand the right thing to do, I think it's important we keep Genesis 4-7, the text, in its context. In other words, what's the story around it? What, what's the text surrounding it? Because if we don't do that, we may assume that the correct answer to the question I just asked is something like, well, the right thing to do is to quit looking at porn. The right thing to do is stop lusting, stop masturbating. The right thing to do is to be sexually pure. And while you'd be mostly correct, I mean, after all, it it is right to stop lusting, to stop looking at porn, to stop masturbating. It, It is correct. It is the right thing to do to be sexually pure. But you'd also be somewhat incorrect. That's not what God is referring to here. It goes so much deeper. Here's the context. Genesis 4 verses 3 through 5 says this. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Genesis 4, 3-5. Now I want to compare that with Hebrews 11, verse 4. Hebrews 11.4 says this, It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man, and God showed approval of his gifts. 1 John chapter 3, verse 12 warns us, We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil, and his brothers were righteous. In Genesis 4-7, God is reminding Cain that if he would just choose to do what's right, the result would be God's blessing, God's acceptance. So the question I want to pose to us right now is this, what did Cain do that was so wrong? What did he do that was so evil, and I'm referring to before he killed his brother? And I want to submit the answer is simply this, he chose to worship himself instead of God. He chose to do things the way he wanted instead of the way God required. Abel offered the firstborn of his flock as an act of faith in God, whereas Cain just brought some of the fruits of the soil. Abel, now watch this, Abel worshipped God God's way. Cain worshipped his own God his own way. At the heart of Cain's problem was a worship disorder. He chose not to worship God in a way that was acceptable to the Creator. Rather, Cain went through the empty motions of worship, if you want to call it that, in a way of his own choosing. The result was he was worshiping a false god. He was guilty of idolatry. Listen once again to what God said to Cain in Genesis 4-7. If you do what is right. 
In other words, if you willingly choose to worship God, if you willingly choose to allow God to reign on the throne of your heart, you will be accepted. You will be blessed. You will enjoy a right relationship with God because you won't sin. He goes on to say, if you do not do what is right. In other words, if you choose to reject God and keep King me on the throne of your heart, sin is crouching at your door. It's watching you. It's waiting for you to just open the door of opportunity, even the slightest little crack, and it will pounce. It desires to have you. It wants to devour you. It wants to consume every part of your life. But God finishes the sentence by saying, but you must master it. You're doing what is right when you choose to remove King me off the throne of your heart and make the willful choice every moment of every day to worship God instead of yourself. Oh, my friend, choose, choose, please choose to do what's right. Daily, choose to worship God as the Lord of every part, every aspect of your life, including your sexuality. And when you do, God's promise is that you will be blessed and you will be accepted. You know, God goes on to tell Cain and us that when you choose to do wrong, when you choose to worship King me, when you choose to worship a false God, you choose to commit idolatry, sin will begin to consume every part of your life. Not Now listen, not just your sexual purity. It will consume everything. Why? Because it wants to gobble you up and spit you out. So as it relates to your personal battle for sexual purity, think with me, what is the wrong thing to do? Let me repeat my question. As it relates to your personal battle for sexual purity, what is the wrong thing to do? In what ways have you seen sin consume your life as a result of choosing to worship self instead of God? What are you going to do from this point forward to change all of that? Romans 8, 23 and 24 says this, We have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Choice and consequence. Well, okay, we're going to hit the pause button here until next week's episode as we look forward to continuing in this study. And if you'd like to learn more about today's study, or if you're learning, interested in learning more about the Peer Man Ministry, I invite you to come to our website to look at the multitude of resources that we've made available. Our website is the Purity Coach. It's all one word, thepuritycoach.com. One of the resources that I've been highlighting over the last couple of episodes and I'd like to highlight again today as we wrap up is this book I've written entitled The Pure Man's Devotional Guide, A Biblical Toolbox for Purity. The Pure Man's Devotional Guide is available on Amazon. You see, building a life of purity doesn't happen overnight. And if you've battled through this, you know I'm speaking truth. And like any building project, it's best done when you use the right tools for the task. But what are those tools? How do I use them? Well, the Pure Man's Devotional Guide is a toolbox. It's a book filled with scripture that equips you with everything you need to build a lasting life of biblical purity. This book, the Pure Man's Devotional Guide, is a five-week, seven-day-a-week devotional that is written to help you see how the enemy is attacking you, and more importantly, 
how you can skillfully handle the word of God as you learn to submit yourself to God and resist the devil and then watch the enemy flee from you, James 4, 7. There are over 600 verses of scripture within the pages of the Pure Man's Devotional Guide. It truly is a biblical resource to help you demolish the arguments that are plaguing you and, and learning how to take captive your sinful, sensual, selfish, king-me-centered thoughts and make them obedient to Christ so that you can walk in freedom and live in victory. So I encourage you to go to our website, thepuritycoach.com, check out the resources page, or go to amazon.com and get your copy of The Pure Man's Devotional Guide, A Biblical Toolbox for Purity Today. Well, if you've not yet subscribed to this podcast, let me encourage you to do so today so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes. Until next time, this is author, speaker, and purity coach Steve Etna reminding you that if you're going to glorify God in your everyday living, He must first be glorified in your every moment thinking. Thinking.